Good morning, church. Morning. Good to see you. Glad to be back in the free state. If you got a Bible, let's go to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm chapter 103. We'll dive in uh, in just a few minutes as we continue our series this summer, Psalms of Summer. Um, let me just uh, say a couple things. Please, please, please uh, be at the family meeting tonight. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, in the New Testament, they, we read about how they have uh, the breaking of bread and the fellowship. Tonight, we'll have the scooping of the ice cream and the fellowship, okay? So uh, some exciting stuff that we as pastors want to share with you. Um, good stuff, and then we're going to fellowship. Uh, and so, yeah, we need, uh, like, just hint here. I don't know if Justin hinted at last week, but... Uh, yeah, like anything like peach or Butterfinger or if there's some secret recipe that you just want to pull out the hat for homemade ice cream tonight, like do it, okay? So uh, we, we need that, okay? Like I don't need that, I know, but like it would be really, really good, right? So family meeting, um, and then we'll, we'll uh, eat some ice cream after. Um, I w I'm really excited. Uh, I, was, I was talking to Will Edwards out um, in, in the lobby just a few minutes ago, and I'm really excited over the next few weeks. You're going you're gonna to hear from uh, some people that were in the, on our DR team that were in the Dominican Republic, and uh, possibly if we can have some, some students share um, you know, in a couple weeks as they served in Orlando. But we had a team in the Dominican Republic while we had a, a team of students with Paul and Ryan in Orlando, and I've been in Louisiana preaching the word for two weeks. I mean, praise God, right? Like, like just God allowing our church to serve in different places. But Will was telling me, and I, I, won't, I won't go play by play, so I'll save some for you, right? But basically, like, there was a rainstorm. They, couldn't, they, they were trying to run out of the rain. This lady invites them in her house. They share the gospel, and she comes to know the Lord. And, uh, I mean, just, like, stuff like that, right? Meeting people's needs with water filters uh, and, and medical um, needs. Our, our students served Kind of what they, I think Paul said, what they had for the students to do over two days. Our kids like knocked it out in like, like less than a day. And uh, so they were able to serve in, in a few more areas. Um, just, just for me, let me, let me tell you, it's, it's always an honor. And I always, always want to thank you that when I, when I travel and preach the word, I always want to tell you, you know, what happened. So the last two weeks I've been preaching um, at Dry Creek Camp. It's, uh, I've done summer camps for, for them for over a decade. We had, we had about 250 students each week, and um, just God is working. First week, I was able to talk about hot topics in our, in our culture and what Scripture says about it. Um, and then last week, just talked about really what, what Jesus calls us to, to be a disciple. And uh, Thursday night, I was, I was counseling um, with a teenager, and they just said, I just, I just, for the last two days, just been felt, feel so lost just so lost, so lost, was able to share the good news of the gospel. And one of those situations where they felt like they were completely unworthy, which is a great place to be to hear the good, glad tidings of the gospel. Amen? So um, just able to encourage and, and able to pour in a lot, a lot of times what I do in these, I'll be able to encourage college students who serve as staff. So I'll say a lot to say, um, the Lord used our church, and hopefully he used you in Jones County too. Just because we send people off, never forget that Jesus has told us that as the Father sent me, so he sends us. Psalm chapter 103, while you're flipping there, another question um, that came in this week, and again, we're kind of like on a, a backlog of these, 
And uh, so if we haven't answered your question, we are doing our best. And if you don't, if, you've, if this is your first time you've been here this summer, uh, if you go to crosspointchurch.org, there's a floating question mark. And what we love to do is, is, is something's on your mind or you want us to go a little deeper with something, we want to take a few minutes at the beginning of every message to be able to answer uh, questions. Now, this question is, I have a question about total depravity. I'm curious on the explanation of this and Crosspoint's view. What is Crosspoint's applied theology on total depravity? If you don't know what total depravity is, it's basically the doctrine of Scripture that says we as humans are completely jacked up people, right? Right before the flood, it says that the inclination of man's heart was completely evil. We go to the New Testament, we find that nobody seeks for God, that we're wayward from our mother's womb, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so just to kind of apply that real quick, what does the doctrine of depravity or total sinfulness mean? Well, well, first it means it implies that human beings have value because they are now depraved. They fell from something. And in our church doctrinal statement, we believe that man and woman created, originally were created in the image of God with value and worth because we're the only thing in creation that was made with God's hands, right? Everything else was spoken, but God took dirt and made a man. God uh, took, took a rib and Adam woke up from a nap and all he could say was, whoa, man, because he had found his helper. That was a joke. Anyway, um, so, so depravity implies that human beings have worth and they've fallen. Depravity also implies a, a, a need. So we fell and we're born sinners. And I think I've told you this before, the sinfulness of, of people is often a debatable like one of the most highly debatable topics in theology yet, just go to Walmart and you can see depravity everywhere, right? Drive down 16th Avenue on Friday and you can see depravity applied in, in, at, at work. So to, total depravity implies a need that we're all messed up people in need of a savior, but it also implies inability. We can't save ourselves. If we were to, from this day forward, live a perfect life, which is impossible, us living a perfect life from this day forward can never atone fully or even partially for everything we've done before today. And so we can't save ourselves. And the Bible even says we're, we're dead in sin. So we are completely spiritually dead and unable to do anything about ourselves. But total depravity implies a provision that even though we couldn't save ourselves, God sent Christ and that the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And God demonstrates his love for us. You know this verse, that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. And so total depravity speaks about our great need, and yet it speaks about God's complete provision in Christ. But let me, and as we think about the students going to Orlando, as we think about our team going to the DR, as I've been and in some ways over the last two weeks doing the work of an evangelist, total depravity implies a responsibility, right? That we can't keep this, the, the medicine to ourselves, That we can't keep the provision to ourselves. And so as the church, we, we pray for sinners, we love sinners, we serve sinners, because even though we're in Christ, guess what? We're being sanctified, we're still sinners, right? And so those that don't know Jesus, we pray for them, we love them, we serve them, but eventually, 
Hopefully sooner than later, we have to open our mouth and share the goodness of the gospel because that is their only hope. And so it's not just a, a doctrine. Yeah, people are jacked up. It has so many implications. And I hope on that background, as we read Psalm 103 this morning, you'll be thankful if you're in Christ this morning of what God has done for you. Psalm 103, let's just read the whole psalm. And I will just let you in on a secret. Kennedy Watts is running uh, Pro Presenter this morning. I told the team this morning, there is no way we're getting through the whole psalm this morning, okay? Just heads up. Early on in in the the message, I'm going to give you like the three big points, and we're not getting to them. You're like, uh, Luke, we've listened to you preach before. You get, you go, it's not happening this morning, okay? If it does, it will mean that you get out and you're eating lunch at like 11 o'clock, which ain't gonna happen, okay? All right, so Psalm chapter 103, here we go. Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless The Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Yeah. What a great psalm. If you like looking at the context of psalms, if you keep reading over in a Psalm 104, you'll find that there's a lot going on the same in Psalm 104 as in Psalm 103. And I'm not preaching Psalm 104 this morning because it has 35 verses, not the 22 that we just looked at. If we summarize this Psalm, what it is, it is the call to praise the Lord. The call to praise the Lord. The Lord. If there's somebody that knew how to do this, it was David. I'm not sure where in our minds praise, worship was reduced to singing. Although singing is probably the most obvious form of praise and worship. But I'm reminded 
of a quote by A.W. Tozer that said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. So let that sit there for a minute, right? Praise and worship was never meant, and we'll see it here just in the text in just a second, was never meant to merely be an outward note or expression void of the entire person. And, and some of you know this. You'll wake up in the morning, and before you know it, you're singing. And it may be some song you heard this past week. It may be some new song that Daniel has introduced us. Introduced us. By the way, he's under the weather. That's why he's not, he's not leading this morning. Pray for him. He's feeling better, just dealing with some stuff. So pray for him. Um, so it may be something that we're being introduced to, or maybe something that like 50 years ago you sang at VBS. And, and if you read this psalm, one, one of these old songs is coming to your mind. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know, and you find yourself doing that. And if you were to stop and psychoanalyze what prompted you to begin to sing, you may not be able to like nail it, but it's almost as if it was just, yeah, I praise the Lord. Uh, of course, I just found myself singing. And that is because in the scriptures, praise and worship is a response to who God is and what God has done. I was on a mission trip one time, and I think Ryan was on this mission trip. We were in Honduras um, is when we were all doing uh, in student ministry at, at Highland. John was our youth pastor, and we were down in Honduras with, with Rod Smith. And so that there was, uh, I think it was our bus driver. Michael, you were on that trip. There was a guy named Juan Alberto, and uh, Michael and I actually, like, because we were, I think I was eighth grade, you were ninth grade, like, we were, we had to sleep on the porch, and there was a, a Honduran brother named Juan Alberto, and the Spanish form of Jesus Christ is Jesucristo, and just, like, random times, he'd go, Jesucristo, Jesucristo, well, he would do this in his sleep sometimes, and so we had this pastor, and I remember one time, in the middle of the night, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you're, it's vivid. And this guy just started saying the name of Jesus just over and over again. And this pastor went, Juan Alberto, shut up! <laughs> and, and what it was, this, this dear brother, I mean, we, you know, that, that guy had like tolerated it like four days or five days. But, but what you found was, other than you're keeping me from sleeping, what you found was is that it was only natural that the name of Jesus come from his lips because it was what his mind and his heart were thinking about, you know? And so as we enter this psalm, here's how you break down the psalm. We only are probably gonna get through the middle of point two, but this is how you break down the psalm. Here it is. Number one, it's a personal call to praise the Lord. Number two, it's a communal call. It's a call to the community to praise the Lord. And then at the end, when you start talking about angels and you start talking about wherever the dominion of God <laughs> is, which is everywhere, it's a universal call, which I think is a great way to think through the Psalm because check this out. No one is exempt from the expectation or the command to praise the Lord, which helps us out because what we're reminded of this week is our church was scattered in different countries, is that this is not some local deity. 
like the gods of the nations. This is not just a Western hemisphere God. It's always great in India when somebody says, oh, you know, the Bible, that's a Western religion. And you just go to the book of Esther, which was written, you know, thousands of years before America even existed. And you say, hey, look, look, book of Esther. There it is, India. It's mentioned there. It's like, like the Bible is not putting forward a localized deity. This is the God of all creation. This is the Lord of every man, woman, and child. And so when you read this Psalm, what David is doing, he's saying, whoever you are, wherever you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your situation is, this Psalm is a call to praise the Lord. All right, let's dive into this personal call because this is probably where, we're, where we will spend most of our time this morning. It's a personal call to praise the Lord. First, I want you to see the object of praise. It is the Lord. Now notice something. I believe we've mentioned this to you before, but I want to take a little time. If you'll notice in your English translation, Psalm 103 of David, bless the Lord. If you notice, and I've got it in your notes as well, Lord is in all caps. And some of you have may have read that before and you say, that's not how you're supposed to do English. Like what's going on? Most of the time in, in most of your Bibles, if you go to the front, you'll have like an editor's note. And they will tell you that in the Old Testament, they will capitalize L-O-R-D to tip you off that a certain Hebrew word is being used in the original. So in the Old Testament, there's two words for Lord. One is Adonai, which is a, a lesser term for Lord. It still denotes respect, but it could be used as like sir. It could be used as like master. It could be used as a sign of respect and endearment. And sometimes it does carry the weight of authority. But every time you see L-O-R-D in the Hebrew, this is what we call the Tetragrammaton, the holy name of God. We even don't know because the original Hebrew didn't have vowel pointings in it. We don't even really know how to pronounce it. But the Hebrew letters, yod Hey, vav Hey. So we transliterate it, Y-H-W-H. And we'd be doing it Hebrew, so... Start from right to left, Y-H-W-H. This is why different English translations may say Yehovah or Yahweh. But it was a word that even some of the scribes, when they went to write God's holy name, sometimes they would sit up, stand up from their desk, they would go and wash themselves before they sat back down to write the holy name of God because of the weight and significance and absolute just glory of the word itself. The name, personal name of God, most scholars think comes from the Hebrew verb hayah, which means to be. So when Moses is, is hearing from God at the burning bush, how does God reveal himself as his name? He says, I am that I am. If, if Pharaoh asked who sent me, who, who do I tell him? He says, I am that I am. And so this personal name of God implies that he didn't have a beginning. He won't have an end. He always is. And so I think it's important that we understand this psalm is calling us not to praise God generic, just God, God, a deity, the highest authority, whoever he is out there in the ether, some people would say whoever she is or whoever it is. 
Check this out. We know who God is. God is not generic. God is specific because he has revealed himself as the Lord. Not a Lord, isn't that good? Definite article. There is only one true and living God. This is why in people's lives that they chase things of this earth, they chase pleasure, they chase possessions, they chase a personal prideful empire to pursue, and it leaves them empty because the only reason we were created is to know this one true living God who has revealed himself to us as I am. And when we think of it that way, man, how awesome is the New Testament that Christ comes down and what does he say? I am. <laughs> and, and then he starts defining that. I, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And then just one time when, he re- when the Jews really got mad at him, they go, hey, how do you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And he goes, for Abraham was, I am. And so the object of our worship is not just some generic God out there somewhere. The object of our worship is the God who has revealed himself to us. But notice not just the object of praise, it's also called the, the, the action of our praise. And David uses the word here, bless. Now, most of the time when we think of like bless, we're like, like, like blessing in our culture is kind of like we're hooking somebody up, right? That police officer blessed me because he let me off with a warning, right? Always happens to you ladies, never happens to us dudes, right? They're, right? That's just how it works. So I got blessed. Maybe at Christmas, like I got blessed. Maybe uh, in, in like English 101 at Jones, like I got, I got blessed with an A because like I, I was like two points off and my teacher like hooked me up. So a lot of times the word blessing means we come to someone in need, and we give something to someone in need that meets their need because they are without. Now, that's not how this is, should be interpreted. We're not blessing God because God is in need or God has an unmet need or there is something about God that is incomplete, and so therefore, we do something to God. Now, let's be honest. There are some thoughts of worship that feel that way or that express that. There's, there's, there's some people's thoughts about God that feel like the reason that we were created is because God needed worshipers. No, sir. There, there's some people, the way they think about God is that the reason for creation is that God needed people to hang out with. No, sir. Nope. If this world would have never been created... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would have all sufficiently existed from eternity to eternity in absolute completeness, holiness, righteousness, love, sufficiency, because God, by definition, is in need of nothing. So why did God create us? Not for his sake, but for our sake. So that we might know him. And so... The word bless here, when it's not talked about like down, but when it's talking about up, it literally means to adore with the knees or to bless in an adorative posture. 
it, it means that we're not adding or giving something to God that he needs or, or doesn't possess. It is that the only way we can respond to a God who is in need of nothing is to adore him. It's great as we read history and we find out people that we really look up to and then it kind of breaks our heart when we read like, a, uh, like the definitive bi- or, or biography on their life and we find out like they had issues, right? You know, like you look up to somebody and then you read about their life, like sometimes we'll, you know, we, we look up to these, these preachers and then we read about them and I mean, they're just sinners like us, you know? And I'm not, I'm not talking about some dude that steals money and cheats on his wife. I'm just talking about a guy that, you know, walks with God and has, has a temper sometimes, you know, or like there was a preacher that I really liked and, and um, man, he just it wrote all kinds of things about the greatness of God, but spent so much time with God, like, like his wife felt neglected. And after he died, his, his wife remarried and she said, well, he loved God, but this guy loves me. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just like, but that's real life, isn't it? But how incredible is it that this God that we're called to bless, we can add nothing to his character. We cannot give him something that he does not possess. The only response from us is to express how great he is. That's what it means to bless the Lord. It means to declare, to be in awe, to adore his completeness. So we have the objects of praise, we have the action of praise, but notice the place of praise, the the place of praise. Notice what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I found this interesting. It goes back to how I started. For most people, praise and adoration and blessing the Lord is a merely external activity, which means like, the physical mouth opens, physical breath comes, on the physical breath come physical words, maybe the lifting of a hand, maybe uh, even an expression to, to physically get on the knees, to prostrate oneself. But for the most part, our society may, may think it's just an external expression. It's very interesting. He tells us that we're supposed to adore the Lord, and he doesn't say, adore, adore the, bless the Lord, oh my knees, bless the Lord, oh my hands, bless the Lord, oh my mouth. He speaks to the very inner man that the blessing of the Lord has to come from something inside for it to be authentic. And then he says, he, he speaks to the totality of who we are as human beings. Do we have hands? Yes. But we have a mind. We have a heart. We have a will. All that is in within me Bless his holy name. I wrote this down. True praise comes from the whole person. Not merely external from the mouth, but true praise, true blessing, comes from the mind that has contemplated the greatness of God. True praise comes from the heart that treasures the person of God. True praise comes from the will that chooses to bless God regardless of the circumstances. True praise comes from the spirit that was dead and has been made alive. 
True praise is not a charade, a show, or a performance, but a response from all that I am to all that God is, because true praise emerges from the very core and center of who we are. It is all of my smallness responding to all of God's bigness. All of me, as best I can. And if, if we get honest, like, I don't want you to wake up in the morning and, you know, count your blessings. All right, why am I singing that? Paranoia. All right, let's psychoanalyze. But, but if, if like you did it as like a mental experiment, you know what you would do? You would probably like think back real quick and maybe a verse popped in your mind or maybe you looked outside and you saw the sun or, or maybe like you just took the first breath of the morning. And, you know, I, I, I used to think like, you know, people think, you know, thankful for one more day. Okay, whatever. But you like, you start thinking about that like, yeah, it didn't have to happen, right? And so all that is in within me, and I think it's a good check for us. Are we, are we worshiping and praising God from our mind? If, if we aren't filling our mind with the scriptures, if we're not renewing our mind in the scriptures, guess what? We, we can't really ponder and, and meditate on the greatness of God. The, this, this week, uh, it, was, it was a great testimony. There was a kid who was um, an unchurched kid, and his youth minister was telling me how the Lord was working in his life. And it was really funny because... Um, it wasn't the Lord working his life wasn't funny, but you'll you understand what I'm saying. Um, he, he's sitting in worship and he sat down to pray. Uh, the worship leaders every night would ask us to pray in the middle of the worship set. And so he said, he said, I was praying and you know, everybody stood back up to sing. And he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't hear anything. It was just like everything was drowned out, and I was just praying and I was seeking the Lord. The Lord was working in his heart. And, and I joked with his youth minister, I said, you know, well, God was working, amen. But he could have just experienced in like, this is how you think for the first time in his life, you know what I mean? Teenagers look at their cell phone, you know, and then we move from cell phone to music, we move from music to binge watch Netflix, and we never think. This was more than that, the Lord was working, but I just wanted to say like, how many of us drowned everything else out just to think? Men, lawnmower, great place to think, great place to ponder, Great place, right? And if your yard's bigger, you get a little more thinking in, right? All that is in within me to think about the greatness of God, to drown everything else out. That my response to God, and this is the challenge, isn't it? That the thoughts we think about God are worthy of being thoughts about God, right? That the love that we attempt to, 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 to demonstrate to God by our obedience, not that we're trying to prove something to God, not that we're trying to earn something from God, but don't we want our lives to begin to be a reflection that's worthy of being called a response to God? I mean, for real, if you went to go visit the Queen of England, if you got some, you know, some invitation and you, know, you went to Dollar General three minutes before and got you know, just like a, a little fake potted plant and took it and it still had the $3 Dollar General sticker on it, right? I mean, hopefully you'd be embarrassed. I just think about like how many times the response that I give to God is not even worth to begin to be something worthy of him. Our blessing, him, our response to him is from all that we are. But notice, as we bless his holy name, there's an enemy of praise. And what is it? It's forgetfulness. 
Verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It happens, doesn't it? We forget. We're forgetful people. I mean, for real. Me, like asking Lauren, where's my sunglasses? And they're sitting on my head, right? Where's my keys? And I'm swinging them around. I'm not the only person that does that, right? Don't look, don't look at them right now. Don't, don't, don't call that person out. I mean, I forget stuff all the time. Lauren, Lauren has like a special dish for us to put our stuff in. And, and I don't put it in it. And, and I lose stuff. It's just random, you know? We are forgetful people. And the one thing we should be the most remembering is sometimes the thing we forget. We complain because we forget. We don't worship God because we forget. And what are we forgetting? We are forgetting who he is and what he has already done for us. Can, can we just all agree that if God were to never do anything for us the rest of our life, what he has already done for us is way, way, way more than what we ever deserve. But you know what? He's not going to quit today. The, the enemy of praise, what stands in our way for David here is forgetting what God has done and forgetting that God is going to continue to do it. Because what happens? We get in a tough situation. Something happens. Crazy stuff happens. Or we just have a bad day. And guess what happens? We complain. And the reason that we complain is we have forgotten what he has done before that moment. But what are we doing? We are forgetting that he is going to continue to work after this moment. God's abandoned me. Well, no, don't call him a liar because he says he's with us. Forgetfulness is the enemy of our worship. And I know it's often a place where we go to for for tough times, but it is true that we revisit Job chapter one when he loses all, all of that stuff. He loses members of his family. And what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a reason for praise and he mentions it in, in verse three, four, and five. Forget not all his benefits. Now, can I just be honest? Like I was, I was, I've been thinking through this all week and I'm just thinking like, how do, you, how, how do you tell Americans that God gives people benefits? Because our consumer minds go to liking God for what he gives us, right? And then it just becomes utilitarian, and we're just seeking God because he's got better cell phone service than somebody else, right? Or, you know... Everybody can mess up our order, but if Chick-fil-A messes up our order, it was predestined for, for that to happen because we're going to get something better in return, right? Like, that's how it works, right? But, but, like, as consumers, oftentimes, we don't care about who's providing the benefit. We only care about the benefit. But you know what? I had to rebuke myself, and I had to say, God does give benefits. He, he does. There is great benefit in the living and true God blessing his name. And what are they? He says in verse three, he forgives all your iniquity. He says in verse three, he heals all your diseases. In verse four, he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. These are the benefits 
of God, listen, to his people. It's very, 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 very important, especially in the Bible Belt, to not comfort people outside of the people of God with the promises that are only for the people of God. Can I say that again? It is very important that we never give false comfort to people outside of the people of God with the promises that are only for the people of God. And what I mean by that is, I've done it. Well, the Lord's with you, but that person obviously is not a believer. And you know what? And I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not trying to create paranoia. Guess what? There, there, there's so many people that say they follow Jesus that possibly don't, right? And if you're just doing something in good faith to give the promises of God to somebody who professes to be a Christian, by all means, do it. I'm not, I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just talking about somebody, <laughs> it's really obvious they're not a believer. Well, man, God, God will give you peace. Well, he won't because there's no peace for the wicked, <laughs> right? That's what the text says. But how amazing it is to be included in the people of God and in doing so to have the benefits. Now let me mention these because there is some distinction we need to mention. He forgives all your iniquity. And notice these two are grouped together and remember who's saying it, David is. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Now, now let's just stop there for a minute because it's very important to, to see what this text is not saying. This text is not saying... Let's move to the second one first. This text is not saying that every disease that every person in the people of God has shall be healed. You know why? Because there was a time in David's life in Psalm 51 that he sinned and committed adultery. And guess what happened? The Lord put away the sin of David in grace and yet the child died. And you remember in between those seven days, David interceded hard, Right? And so there is some distinction here. You can almost view this statement about healing disease as a testimony, not just a promise to be copied and pasted, but let me, let me, let me say this, and this is not a cop-out answer. Please don't hear me as a cop-out answer. God always heals his people. You know how he heals them? Instantaneously by, by his power. Like there's cancer and then there's not cancer, right? And there's a disease and there's not disease. God heals people progressively through doctors and medicine, right? Isn't it funny that Paul's an apostle and could heal everybody but himself, so he had to have Luke tag along, right? And, and even think about Paul in this situation. Three times I pleaded with the Lord because it's, pro, you know, it, there's a great case to be made that it was a physical ailment, maybe even an eye ailment. Three times I pleaded and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. But God sometimes heals progressively. But can I just tell you, God always ultimately heals his people because this mortal body will be put off and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But death doesn't get the last say for the Christian because this body shall be raised incorruptible and will be glorified. Amen? I'll be just like him. It's not a cop-out answer to say that we pray for healing and the Lord chooses not to heal at this time because he is ultimately healing. And I say all that, I know many of you have experienced loss and I know that may be something to, tough to think about, but just let me tell you this, for the Christian, death never has the final answer. Jesus has already won. But you know what is true 100% of the time? The benefit, he forgives all our iniquities. 
And you remember a few weeks ago in Psalm 32 what the word iniquity connotated? It was like the wicked, evil, vile, horrible side of sin. And that is what the Lord forgives. Not just the transgression, you broke the law. Not just the sin, you went crooked. But the vileness and the evil, the Lord says, that's what I forgive. I just don't forgive the wicked act. I forgive the wicked one that did the wicked act. Some of us look back in our lives the things that we've done and the shame that we have. And you know what? It has been forgiven. It has been put away and it shall never be brought again to remembrance before God because Christ has said, it is finished. This is the benefit. Just to mention these, he redeems your life from the pit, which means God reaches down and as far down as you went, God brings you back up and he redeems and he restores. And then when he brings you up, notice he just doesn't say, well, I got you out of the, got you out of the hole. Have a nice life. He, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And then not only, nice crown, wear it boldly. Verse five, he satisfies you with good. God's just not after the forgiveness. He's just not after the healing. He's just not after the redemption. He's just not after the crowning. But God is ultimately saying, and everything that he does for us, it's holistic because ultimately when sin did not satisfy us, God has completely satisfied us because the benefits of God are not intended for us to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, God, we don't need you anymore. The benefits of God are us to say, thank you. We fall on our knees wow, another benefit, man, I don't deserve that. Thank you. That drives us back to say, who are we? Who are we? As you think about what God has done in your life, as you think about how God has responded to your life, it's really one thing that can be said. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise his greatness. He does not, later on he'll say, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so if you keep reading this psalm, what you'll see is David says, this is my experience. I praise the Lord. And then he starts expanding out and he says, hey, that's happened to you too. And hey, that's happened to you too. So let's just not praise the Lord individually, like just solo in life. Let's as a community praise the Lord. And then David gets wild at the end of the psalm. He says, hey, angels, you praise the Lord. What? <laughs> hey, creation, you praise the Lord. Hey, everywhere his dominion is, you praise the Lord. And so the blessing, praising, worshiping life that this psalm calls us to basically allows us to see, to, to live with this question, why would you not praise the Lord? Why, why would you not see that he doesn't exist for you, but you exist for him and his glory? Well, we got through five verses. Can I just encourage you this week? No matter what happens, forget not all his benefits. No matter what you face, forget not his holy name. And I guess the final application would be, perhaps you see your brother and sister struggling. There's a place in the Christian life to look at your brother and sister and say, hey, bless the Lord. Come here, let me hug you. Bless the Lord. 
Hey, let me walk with you. Bless the Lord. Hey, let me, let me pray with you. Bless the Lord. Doesn't make sense? Bless the Lord. I don't, I don't understand why? Bless the Lord. Just one glimpse of him in glory will all the trials of life repay. Bless the Lord. Father, we come to you. Father, we thank you that there is only one God who is worthy of this type of blessing, and it is you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we bless you this morning. We can't add anything to you, God. But we can respond to your completeness. We can respond to your worth. We can respond to your greatness. Lord, help us to not forget everything you do for us. Help us to remember how you forgive us. <clears throat> Lord, you do heal us. You heal us spiritually, you heal us physically. Lord, thank you, you bring us up from the pit. Thank you that you crown us with mercy. Thank you that you satisfy us with good. And God, thank you for not leaving us alone. You sent the Spirit inside of us. You sent the people of God around us. And we have this privilege to bless the Lord. Lord, we, we don't completely understand why. We know you wanted to do this, and we know it brings you glory, but God, we don't always understand why you would stoop so low in Christ to come be made like us and live like us and die for us, but we say thank you. And we pray not just this next song we sing, but this week, our lives, our small lives can just be a response, bless the Lord. Adore the Lord. Church, as we sit before him this morning, perhaps just in your heart, even before you sing anything, all that is within you, just bless the Lord. We always want you to be free to express yourself. Perhaps even this morning you get on your knees. If you can't do that, whatever way that you would express to him standing, your arms raised, just standing in silence, seating in silence, whatever it would take just to express all that is within you, to bless his name. If you don't know the Lord this morning, he has come down in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And there's hope for you this morning. Repent of your sin, believe the gospel. We as pastors would love to talk to you. When I finish praying and the band's leading us, I'll be at the back of this, this room. We'll have other pastors and other believers that would love to talk to you if you need Christ. Believer, if maybe you need some prayer and encouragement, we'd love to do that as well. But he is the God who is deserving of adoration. Some will pray and then we'll stand and respond to him. But again, you know, if you will stay seated or get on your knees or stand and 
raise your hands or just be before him in whatever way. You're free to do that, to express to him how good he is. Lord, apply your word to our hearts that we may respond to you in a way worthy of you. We just thank you for who you are and all that you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's bless the Lord.